0: Trollodren, Legends and Lore Episode Twenty Three Sherrill well, welcome to Traveler and Legends and Lore. I'm Chad Corey, and this episode we're getting to the tail end here of the Gods for season 2, and as you can see obviously, if you're doing the math, we have not covered all the gods yet, and we're running out of month in the year to do that. So obviously we're going to continue with this series for season 3 for next year, covering the rest of the gods who remain and any other special surprises I want to add in there and that uh, explain and elaborate more in general. So do stick around for next year, but I just want to kind of preface that saying, no, we're not ending this series in not getting all the gods covered, but I just wanted to pass it on. We are continuing the process of covering all the gods in this thumbnail format, and we are wrapping up, or getting close to wrapping up now, the second generation of gods as we get closer to the end of the year, and we're looking at Sherrill. And Sherrill obviously is the daughter of, or well, the only daughter of Sher- Seredel and Drayden, the more scholarly of the deities on the Trilodrome Pantheon, which is kind of unique because they still had a daughter, which is, she kind of takes a little bit after them in her mindset and her mannerisms and such, and in some ways, as we'll get into, but she is definitely her own own person, and we'll explain more about that too in the rest of the episode. But in general, let's talk a little bit relationally about how she is, like we've been doing for all the deities in uh, the Pantheon. She is the daughter of Drayden and Saradell like we said, the cousin to Perloza, Remenos, Cassila, and Andaria, and she is one of the Grey Gods. And as again, as we said before in last episode, the one before that, I believe, we the Grey Gods are, they're, they're nice deities, I guess, <laughs> for the, the Pantheon, but they are not necessarily always going to be super exciting deities because of the basic nature of who they are in general. They're not always going to be the most exciting as far as the power and influence and stuff over the Trelodron world in general, but also given the philosophy and mindset of the Grey Gods as well, and kind of how they have a non-interventional kind of approach to things in general, which kind of keeps them out of the direct involvement with a lot of stuff going on with people's lives. And that, might, like I said, doesn't always doesn't always fit with some people's prescriptions of what they want from a deity and what they want them to do and stuff. So again, if you want to know more about their philosophy and how they operate in general, go to chadcory.com, go to the trial and world page, and then there should be a link on there for the more information about the Pantheon. And that'll break down their philosophical differences and how they view the world and operate in general in the cosmic sense of the scape of control and such. But in general, Shereel is probably not necessarily everyone's first choice for deity, as you'll soon see. She is the goddess of earth, metals, and minerals, and where that might seem as a beneficial thing, if you're not necessarily into that kind of aspect of vocational pursuit, shall we say, with mining or or things like that, or working the earth, or a blacksmith or something like that, or even dwarves in general who live in hills and mountains or on them you're not necessarily going to be chomping at the bit to become a, a follower or a priest of, of Shereel. And oddly enough, she's pretty much fine with that. <laughs> so she's probably one of the most laid-back and uh, unassuming deities of the entire pantheon, which kind of adds to her her nature in some interesting ways. Her realm is called Boda, and it is basically, from what people understand, although there's a lot of different theories on what it might be, it's just this big expanse of what you might expect to be rocks and dirt and underground caverns and things like that, you know, basically things that would quote-unquote appeal to dwarves or or people that are into mining or, or working the earth or, or things like that or metals or things like that. It's not, not always expressly explained to the individual and even the religious texts and information you get from priests are not always the most clear about the topic, so it's sometimes a little bit gray for what people understand it to be but it's it's not necessarily something that sounds amazing that you want to go there and like oh yeah it's great you know it's, you don't really envision yourself hanging out there in an afterlife with you know rocks and metal and uh, stone and things like that it doesn't necessarily kind of tickle a lot of people's fancy but she is known as the goddess of metals the queen of the hills and mountains lady of the earth the shining goddess the silent smith and her radiant majesty and her pendant, or I guess, excuse me, her, her symbol that is made into a pendant, is kind of unique in the sense that it is not really a pendant, not really a symbol. It's just a raw piece of a gem or precious metal or even polished rocks that are made into a necklace. And it serves as a holy symbol or a priestly medallion for the priest. It's, she doesn't really have a symbol if you want to look at it that way. That's her only symbol is used for her priests, and that's just to identify them as her priests. So again, even more kind of in the background type of goddess, she doesn't even have a way to identify herself outside of her temple or her followers in general. So again, that's another aspect of her ambiguity and, and backgroundness as a deity. And like I've been saying in previous episodes, you're not probably going to find any even major temples to her in, in most places. I mean, it's going to be a unique place where you have to find a temple dedicated to her. And that would probably be in a dwarven community or a dwarven uh, clan somewhere where they've taken the time to do that. And a lot of times they they have done that, but in general, you're not necessarily going to find a big temple Tushiru unless it's like in a mining community or a place close to the hills or mountains and then maybe you might find a shrine or a smallish temple or something but it's not going to be usually a grandiose type of situation again she's not readily seen as a Yeah, you know, she's not a bad goddess not a good goddess necessarily she's again a great goddess. Kind of like eh, okay there are some benefits to what she has but you know it's she doesn't apply to most people's vocational pursuits political pursuits things they want to get out of life. I mean, they just, they're practical. I mean, they they serve a purpose, but it's just not something that's that's sexy and exciting and people just going to focus their their attention on or even give their devotion to in general. Now, when it comes to her actual appearance, like all second-generation gods, she is 14 feet tall, but she also has cascading black hair and silver eyes and a medium brown skin. When she dresses, she usually has some type of Earth tones involved in there, precious metal hues, gems that are worked into it, maybe some pieces of what we might consider to be armor uh, created specially so that it fits in the garment in some way, shape or form as an accent piece, maybe jewelry that has various elements of you know fine workmanship for for metal crafting or like I said, armor or maybe some type of mining. A motif or something tied into it. So again, it kind of varies and blends in that way too. But she's not really known to be one to get together and do big gala functions and stuff like that. In fact, she's probably one of the most silent members of the council as far as stating their their vocal opinion about things. She does vote and does participate, but she's not something that people... She's not someone, I should say, that people readily accept as like, oh, she's going to dominate the conversation or steer things or has an agenda. I mean, she's not... She kind of keeps to herself, not really a wallflower, but not, but you know, they respect her necessarily, but they don't really expect her to do anything. So it's like she's there, but not there in a lot of, a lot of sense of the word. And she's just kind of a quiet uh, servant. It doesn't mean she's she's um, low on self-esteem or anything. She's just kind of like your parents. She kind of is intelligent, takes some things in, but just doesn't feel the need to always have to talk or, or dominate or or push a certain agenda, which in some cases can be a refreshing thing. But in others, when you're trying to get her on her side or, or help get her to a certain project or agenda, I or think that can be a little bit of a, of a challenge or headache as well. But there are some fun things I'd like to share more about her and get into some stuff, obviously. But again, as I've been saying in a previous episodes, she's not not you know I, there are those elements are, are aspects to future stories and even some stuff that will be hinted at in uh, Triumph of the Wizard King, among other stories. If you've been reading uh, the Wizard King trilogy, so I don't want to share too much about that and uh, and ruin the experience for people that like having spoiler free experiences. So I guess we'll cut it off at this point in time. And but hopefully you have a little bit more information about who she is, where she interacts and how and stuff like that than uh, some of the other gods. And we can kind of build on that later on as we have the opportunity to, excuse me, with future episodes. So with that, we'll kind of wrap it up and bring it to a close. Again, thank you for listening, and we will catch you on the next episode. This podcast is copyright Chad Corey. All rights reserved.